When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of vice. It's Friday, January 18th. I'm Sophie Cases. Today we're talking about the GOP's war on facts and the double standard it's based on. Fact-checking is a core value in mainstream media. But right-wing politicians can get away with ignoring media criticism altogether. This has become a striking conundrum in our current political climate. Because the thing is, for fact-checking to hold weight, everybody, both the public and politicians, need to first agree that one, facts are useful things, and two, false statements should be condemned and apologized for. The problem is that that's just not the country we're living in right now. So what do we do about it? In this episode, Vice's Ankita Rao speaks with writer Harry Cheadle to try to answer this question. Harry, you watched the president's speech last Tuesday and then the media aftermath and something became very clear to you. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? Well, I think what I noticed was that there's a real disparate way Democrats and Republicans tend to respond to fact-checking from the media. And that's the kind of article where a journalist will go through a, usually a politician's statements and sort of sort out what is true and, and what is false as far as, as they can. And with Trump's speech, like all of Trump's speeches, they there were a lot of um, inaccuracies and, and falsehoods to sort of dig into and explore. But Trump entirely ignored it, I think. As, as far as I can tell, he didn't respond to that at all. And that was very different than what you saw with what's happened with Democratic politicians lately, as when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said something that wasn't true about how much uh, Medicare for all would cost relative to some uh, Department of Defense budget scandal. And in that case, the fact checkers jumped on her just as they had jumped on Trump. But in her case, she ended up responding somewhat aggressively at first and then sort of backing off. But she felt really compelled to engage with those criticisms. And it seems like someone in her position who's on the left side of the political spectrum has to respond to media criticism like that. And Trump um, doesn't have to at all. Why is that? And what does that look like? A lot of people on the right, a lot of voters, a lot of ordinary folks don't trust the media to begin with. So when the Washington Post gives Trump four Pinocchios or pants on fire, whatever their fact-checking rating is, those voters tend to discount it. They don't demand you know, Trump correct himself or apologize for the error. And Trump can just attack the Washington Post as fake news and everyone goes about their day. But I think people on the left, like liberals, Democratic voters care a lot more about what the mainstream media or the liberal media thinks about their politicians. So when Bernie Sanders gets called out for misrepresenting the costs of Medicare for all, which is something that happened over the summer, 
I think he feels an obligation to respond to that because he knows that people who support him read those publications and he needs to explain why the fact checkers are wrong or he needs to correct his statement in some way. And I mean, I should say that I think if outlets on the right did try to hold Trump accountable in the same way, he would respond. I think he's been responsive to right-wing media in the past. And so if people on Fox and Friends started fact-checking Trump, I think that would be a really interesting thing to see because I think Trump would have to respond to that because he knows his base is listening. That's sort of the dichotomy. It's, it's, in, it's in how politicians talk about the media, and it's about how ordinary people respond to those narratives. One part of your piece that that I found really enlightening was that you talk about the importance of truth and how there's a difference between fact-checking incrementally and then this bigger idea of truth. So it's not have these false equivalencies of comparing, you know, Trump's inaccuracies to another, you know, political figure's inaccuracies when they might be so different to begin with. Could you explore that a little bit and talk about, you know, how that frames what people get really heated about? Well, I think the difference between facts and truth, as I laid it out, was that truth is something you really feel on a gut level. You know, facts are something you know you can explore with research, but the truth is like when Trump says, you know, we have to build the wall because immigrants are coming to take your jobs. That might not be factually correct, but it feels true to a lot of people. And so when the fact checkers come in and they say, well, actually, if you built a wall, uh, you wouldn't actually uh, prohibit that many undocumented immigrants from crossing. And, you know, just really like, going line by line and breaking it down, it's not really an effective countermeasure because that truth still feels real. And it's much harder to combat that. You need more than just fact-checking. And that's not to say that fact-checking isn't important. You know, I truly believe that politicians should be accurate in whatever they say, but the, the language Trump is using is really not the language uh, that fact-checkers are using oftentimes. What is the best way to communicate? I think that politicians need to not lie to people and they need to, when they're discussing a topic, have some facts at their disposal, you know, some relevant statistics that they can pull out and not make them up. And I think Trump oftentimes makes up or exaggerates figures to try to defend his positions. But I think politicians also need to have a narrative that feels true to people that like can really move people and that that should be built on facts. It should be uh, you know, a narrative that you tell based on some statistics, some 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 studies, whatever whatever you build it on. But it needs to be more than just the sum of its its facts. It needs to be inspiring as well as accurate. And I think Democrats really need to take that into account when they're choosing a 2020 candidate and when they're discussing a 2020 candidate. They need they need someone who has a command of facts, but can also tell a really compelling story the way that Trump can. It's kind of crazy to me that anyone has to spell this out, that a good argument is one that's built on factually correct information and is also, you know, emotionally connected. Like, I would think, you know, in Debate 101, that's sort of what you learn. But unfortunately, we've, we're increasingly distanced from that and I think as, you know, as members of the media, when that's happening on one end and then on the other end, you're trying to be a sort of watchdog. I think it creates a lot of friction. Where do you see the media playing a role here? And what would be an approach that 
actually leads to that larger truth? Well, I think what the media can do is really police figures who are on its own side, if that makes sense. I think one of the failures of the media environment that led to Trump's election was that the right-wing media didn't check Trump enough, that didn't, they didn't challenge him enough. And I mean, I think some right-wing outlets definitely did. Some conservatives spoke out against Trump and, and noted when he was being uh, factually inaccurate or dishonest, but a lot of the right-wing media just sort of fell in line. And I think for outlets that are perceived as being left-leaning, while I think it's good to push back on Trump and, and note when he is spreading misinformation, it should also hold its own politicians accountable, politicians that it might be sympathetic to. And I think journalists generally do a good job of this in holding politicians they might be sympathetic to account, but they need to just continue to do that um, as, as things get more heated. It is good to challenge people who are on the left. So I think it's good when Alexander Ocasio-Cortez was called out for getting some things wrong by the mainstream media. I think that's good. And I think that's healthy. And I think that should continue. How did these sort of huge fault lines appear? Why are, why was there such a divergence in the way that different media houses cover someone like President Trump? So a real short version of this history is that conservatives have been convinced for a very long time that the mainstream media wasn't covering them fairly. And so that they work to build up institutions that would cover the conservative movement fairly and be sympathetic to them. And that's how you got talk radio. I and mean, that's how you later got Fox News. And today there are, you know, dozens of, of smaller conservative outlets. And then you also have ideologically left-wing media. And then you have sort of the old, supposedly non-ideological media outlets like the New York Times and, and the Washington Post and, and, uh, and the network news shows. And I think what's happened is that this has just com like continuously fractured more and more, and uh, outlets have become more and more identified as being partisan. And today, you know, you have, I think people generally assume that there is no such thing as like an objective arbiter. I think most people on the right assume that all mainstream media outlets are leftist and most liberals don't trust Fox News at all. And I think that really adds up to a distrust of anything that could be called fact checking. Because even when you're when you're fact checking a politician, it's assumed that you're coming at it from a partisan angle. And if if you're fact checking Trump, that must be an attack on Trump. And so I think that that also does some damage to everyone's credibility because no one is authoritative. We have an election coming up next year, a really big election. And I do wonder if any of the things we've learned from the last election and the the coverage that we've had after it when it comes to something like balancing, fact-checking with the overarching narrative, I wonder if we've learned anything and if it's going to be any different. And do you see any sort of signs that the media and the way that politicians speak to the media and to the masses will change next year? Well, I think on the media side, at least, I have seen journalists say, we want to cover more of the policy issues and we want to cover it less like a horse race. I think that's one lesson that the media is trying to collectively learn from 2016, which is that issues matter. They want to do issues-based reporting. And we'll see if that actually happens as 2020 gets closer and the temptation to do more horse race coverage picks up. 
but I mean, I also think that I, I hope that the le- one lesson we take away is it's not enough just to like catalog the list of Trump's misstatements. It's good to do that, but it's not, there's not going to be like a gotcha moment where it's like, oh, Trump was lying about this. Trump was wrong about all of this. You know, we like, this proves that he's unfit for office and his voters will turn on him. I think that that's not really the way to check Trump at all. And I think there need to be more stories that puncture these overall narratives that Trump is telling and provide alternative narratives and alternative stories. And that's the most important thing. I don't think fact-checking is going to be something that's incredibly important in 2020, sadly. I wish, I wish it were. I wish, I wish fact-checking were regarded as, as more important and people were swayed by it and took it seriously, but I don't think that's the world we live in. You can read Harry's full story at vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again on Friday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.